So I have a question. How are small business owners like us, who are spending 60 plus hours a week working in our businesses and are still struggling to make ends meet, who have no time to spend with family, friends, or the things we value most in life, who feel trapped inside of our businesses and it is consuming our lives? How do we get the freedom to be able to work on our businesses and not in them? That is the question. This podcast will give you the answer. My name is John Nichols, and this is Expansion Code Radio. What's up, everyone? Welcome to today's podcast. My name is John Nichols, and this is Expansion Code Radio. I am super duper excited, folks, today. I've got Mark Hirschberg with us today. Uh, Mark is an author, a university instructor, startup executive. He's done all kinds of great stuff. Mark, I just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, I've been I've been looking forward to this. Uh, I've read his bio and all this other fun stuff. He's a he's a pretty amazing guy. So, Mark, since I, I already know you're an amazing guy, but my audience does not. Why don't you give my audience a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. I've done a number of things over the years. Professionally, I came out of MIT back in the 90s with a couple degrees, and I got into the dot-com startup world, and I've stayed in startups. So most of my career has been building startups. From time to time, I've helped a couple Fortune 500s who wanted to play startup and innovate. I've also helped start classes at MIT and Harvard Business School. I've been teaching at MIT for over 20 years. And that's been a side project in addition to all the tech. My tech has brought me from building online marketplaces, from tracking terrorists and criminals on the dark web, cybersecurity, marketing, lead generation. I've done a whole bunch of different things. And then I also took some of the content in the book or in the class at MIT, used that to inspire a book that I put out and did that about two years ago. So I now do talks based on the book, and then I create an app inspired by the book and how people learn. So I've got a number of different things going on. I've got a couple different startups. I've got speaking, and it really just keeps me busy, but it's all a lot of fun. So tell me a little bit more about this app, because the app sounds like it's a pretty cool little tool. One thing I found is that when people read a book, they quickly forget the book a week or two later. Or you listen to a podcast like this, you say, oh, wow, there's great ideas, but what are you doing? You're driving, you're exercising, you're doing something. You're going to forget those ideas two, three days later. But we put all this time into learning. We want to retain it. Now, we know, I've worked in education, we know one of the best ways to remember things you've learned is a technique called spaced repetition. That's a fancy name for, remember before the test, open that textbook again and reread the chapter or look at your notes again. See it more than once. Repeat the information over different times. We have flashcard apps out there, but no one's going to take notes on their app or on on what they're reading and put into an app and create flashcards. Way too much effort. I believe most people want to do a minimum amount of effort. I don't think that's a... Brilliant insight on my part. We all know people like to do less work, not more. So what we came up with was an app. It's called Brain Bump. And the Brain Bump app, we take key ideas from books, blogs, podcasts, talks, and classes. We put those ideas into the app. So it looks a little like a flashcard app, but there's no question and answer. And the key thing is that you don't even need to open the app. One of the modes gives you a daily reminder. So let's think about the two ways you might use information. One is what we refer to as just in time. I have networking tips in my book. Okay, we all know networking is important. If you read my book, you're doing so sitting on your couch. You don't need to network from your couch. You've already met your spouse. You've met your dog. Good relationships with both. You need those networking tips two months later as you're walking into a conference. So you Take the app out of your pocket and you open it up and you say, okay, I need those networking tips. And you pull them up just in time. Just get those quick hits. Okay, there's a tip. There's a tip. Just flip through those tips right before you walk in the room. But the other way is you might say, hey, I'm managing a business for the first time. And this is new to me. Or I'm expanding. Or now I have to think about logistics or some area that's new to me. And I read a book. I heard a podcast. 
but I need to retain it. I want to get a daily reminder of some of what I've learned. And so you can set the app to give you a push reminder at a time you set each day. We don't bother you with pushes and notifications you didn't ask for, but 9 a.m. each day as you walk into work, you say, oh, right, there's a good tip. Swipe it away. Done. And this helps build it up in your mind. It helps you retain the information and keep it top of mind. Yeah, that that is a lot better than than the way I normally retain information. Um, things for me, at least, um, I have a harder, I have a really hard time retaining information. Like like I can read a book pretty quickly. I can go through things pretty quickly. So I'm I'm going to give you give you my little way on on the way I do it. And the app sounds like it's a much better way to do this than what I do, because whenever I tell people this, they're just like, you must really want to retain what you're reading really well. Um, and, uh, I, I'll, I'll give you a prime example. My, the, the last book I did, this was uh, Simon Sinek's book, uh, start with why. Okay. So I always buy the audio book for it. And then I always have a hard copy of the book too, on top of it on Kindle. And so this is how I do it. I listen to the book as I drive, go places. I, I listen to it. Just trying to get information into my head. You know what I mean? And then, and then whenever I get done with the book, listening to it, I take the hard copy or even the Kindle app and then I read through it. I, I, I just read through it as quickly as I can. All right. So I'm getting a double dose now of just information in my head. My last step is I take the hard copy book. I put the audio on and I read and I listen to the audio and read at the same time with a highlighter. Then I highlight the things in the book that are the pieces that I really want to retain. And that's how I, retain the most important parts of a book is is that way and now now in, in my head in my subconscious mind i've got all these snippets of simon sinek's book start with why and so 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 i know these things but it's but i've spent now mark a whole lot of time trying to trying to do this because that's just the way I learn. And the thing is, is that, and I'm sure there's lots of people out there that learn very similar to me. I don't know how many, or or maybe I'm just a weirdo. <laughs> I don't know, Mark, but you know, but it, it's okay. But that whenever I tell people my methodology, they're just like, you really must want to learn this. You really must have a passion about this. Yeah, I do. Well, you hit upon something important, which is you recognize how you learn. So this works for me. I know someone else, for example, who gets the audio and the print book and goes through them together, listens through the audio. They didn't do those first two steps, but their step is listen and read at the same time because he finds it helps him remember it better. That works for him. Other people say, I only like reading or I only like listening. We have to recognize there's no one size that fits all. And you need to do what's right for you. What's bad is when you say, I'm just going to read the book or listen or whatever you do. And then you forget 99% of it two weeks later. Was that really valuable? Or did you just spend a few hours doing something? It's entertaining, but it didn't help you grow. And so with the app, we give you those highlights that you're taking in the book. They're already in the app for you to try and make this a little easier for people like yourself or others who say, I didn't even want to try that in the first place. Yeah. I mean, the the thing is, is that I just find it very interesting is that people do things different ways because the thing is, is that when I'm driving, uh, well, okay. So let me back up and give you a, give you a philosophy of mine. Okay. And so um, people identify as all kinds of crazy things in the world, father, business owner, entrepreneur, uh, mother, daughter, I mean, student, we, we all identify and can identify with, about with multiple things depending upon where you're at and what you're doing too. But for me, I have taken on this whole persona now of I'm only going to identify as one thing and everything else can fall underneath this umbrella. 
and that there is continual learner. And <clears throat> so under this umbrella of I'm a continual learner, there is application. I, you know, I apply the applications that I've learned. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a business owner. I'm all of these different things, but it all falls underneath this one big umbrella of I'm a continual learner. And it, and the reason why I love this umbrella is because if I get negative criticism, I can always say, well, maybe I didn't know this. Maybe I was uneducated in it, right? Maybe I was just ignorant in this one particular thing, but I can still learn. And the thing is, is that this continual learner umbrella always keeps me hungry and always keeps me somewhat emotionally safe if you need that. But more than anything, it makes me realize that every day when I get up, I need to be the best version or a better version of myself than I was the day before. I think that's a great attitude to have. Because all of us need to continue to learn, whether it's just because our own business, we're going to get bored if we're doing the same thing day after day, but more likely it's because our business, our life is not the same day after day. Before you were a father, you probably didn't know that much about fatherhood. Certainly if you think back to when you were 20 years old, for example, or not really, you know, it was before you became a father and thinking it. These are not things I have to concern myself with. But once you were getting ready to become a father and became a father, there's a whole bunch of stuff you had to learn to keep up with it. And even our businesses where you say, well, I've been running this business for two or three years. So I know how this business operates. The environment in which it operates, the world, the economy, your competitors will change. We all had a big disruption two years ago when COVID hit. Started to say, oh, yeah. boy, it's not business as usual. We have to learn how to adapt to this new situation. So all of us, hopefully the changes won't be quite so abrupt and big, but we all need to keep learning how to work in an ever-changing environment and hopefully learning how to be ever more successful. Yeah, I think change is such a, is, is such a big deal with people because there's lots of people that just want to um, run away from change. They, they, they don't want to embrace it completely and fully. And there's change in our life every day. Something changes in our life. And it may be very minute. And it could be a very big thing. But there's always change in our life. And I think if people can recognize change and see it and start embracing change, for what it is, because here's the cool thing about change. It's neither good or bad. It's neither positive or negative. It's just, it just is. It's the way that we interpret change is what is the categories or the um, context in which we put stuff in. And so, and it makes a big difference too. The thing is, is that it, it, it's funny. I have a saying, um, and, and, and because this is, this is the, this is the way I look at the world and I'm not trying to be fake about this. I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to make, make me the best version of me. So this is very selfish in what I'm fixing to say about this, but I, but I say even my worst days are fantastic days. And the reason why is that because, because if something bad happens to me and and that there's and that there's very the word bad can mean so many different things but if something about this that i consider negative happens to my life why do i want to push that negativity on someone else that is a choice that i'm making instead you know i always have you know the the, the saying every dark cloud has a silver lining i like to add another line to that and my other line is that's true, but sometimes you have to look really hard to find that silver lining. And that there should be your focus, not upon the dark cloud, but on what is that silver lining. Find it, and then what did you learn 
you know, I tell my people that, that work for me, um, you know, failures and mistakes are nothing more than learning opportunities. If you keep making the same mistakes, or you keep having the same failures, then that's on you. You should be able to figure out what you what you did and learn from it and then try not to repeat it. It's a uh, it's a very big concept. It's it's really funny. I had a so I'm going to tell you a real quick story, Mark, and then I want to get your take on this because it's a because I always like to get people's take on on stories that um, that can be interpreted in different ways. And so I had a manager of mine and she made this big mistake um, and stuff. And um, I called her and she was, and she was prepared to get chewed out. She was prepared to, you know, to get a bunch of negative comments and somebody just to chew her out. And I called her and I was just like, so, um, can I ask you a question? She was just like, yeah. And I was just like, so what did you learn from what happened? She's like, um, I'm, I'm sorry, what? I said, what did you learn from the mistake? Um, are you, are you mad at me? Uh, okay. I want you to listen to my question. Okay. What did you learn from the mistake? And she was just like, well, uh, and she was just totally confused. I said, listen, take a deep breath. Just talk to me about what you learned from, from, from what, what happened. And she went through a whole list of things that she learned. And I said, so do you think you're going to make this mistake again? She's like, oh, no. No, I'm no, 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 no. I'm not going to make this mistake again. I said, because you're educated on not to do that, correct? She's just like, yeah, oh yeah. And and she was totally taken back because first of all, I wasn't mad. Second of all, people make mistakes because if you're not making mistakes, if you're not having some failures, then you're really not growing much at all. And and she was just so surprised because all of her other employers had would have just came down on her and chewed her out and been so negative towards her. And she was just very surprised at how I how I approached her in this particular situation. And I think it's very important that if you really want to make an impact on the people that you have stewardship over, that means everybody around you, every every person in your life that you touch in some form or fashion you have a stewardship over you have to have leadership you have to have a servant leadership mentality to be able to bring great things into their life and you're not bringing the great things you're giving them the opportunity to have great things that's it the only thing i tell people is that all thing i am is that i'm a facilitator of people's potential and that's it because they have all of the potential they will ever need or have already inside them from birth. So, you know, so, so that, that's my story. I'm, I'm curious to get your take on that, Mark. When you think about our earliest feedback, the earliest feedback we start to internalize probably comes from around age one and a half, two, three, or young years. And that feedback is usually pretty blunt. It's usually a parent saying no, saying it very firmly, saying it in a critical way. And we do have to do that sometimes with kids, because if you say no once, the concept of no doesn't always exist to a two-year-old. And you have to use a firm tone and you have to, I'm going to say yelling. It's not necessarily that parents are yelling. Some do, but that kind of parental yes and no to children. And that's how we get our first feedback. And that's how we first learn about feedback and managerial control. When you think about schools, kids often push the boundaries. And that's not a criticism of kids. Their brains haven't fully formed. And this is just part of growing up. And teachers who get exasperated by dealing with these kids all day just do a very 
no, you can't do that. And it's whether don't hit your sister, don't eat dirt, whatever it is, we just give these very firm responses. And that's how we first learn about managerial feedback. Now, once we're adults, we don't need to necessarily have that approach. We can have a more advanced, more mature approach as you gave with her. She knew she did something wrong. You knew she did something wrong. You both understood. She wasn't trying to be a jerk. She wasn't trying to cause problems. She made an honest mistake, learned from it, and presumably you knew enough that she was going to not do it again. It's important to understand the dynamics that we have with people. If you had an employee who's like a six-year-old and you constantly have to say, no, no, I told you not to do that, you need to use that tone. You also need to ask yourself, is this the type of employee you want where you have to manage that way? You probably prefer employees similar to this one you mentioned who are self-actualizing, who can recognize when mistakes were made, who can learn, who can adjust. And you do more of a little course correction. Maybe she didn't know how to do it or didn't even realize it was a mistake. And you can point out and say, well, this is a problem and here's why and here's what you can do next time. Say, oh, okay, sorry about that. Thank you. I'll do better next time. And you didn't need that more traditional parental process. So we need to think about the relationships we have at work and elsewhere and the type of feedback we want to be giving to people and choose people to hire based on the environment we want to live in. Most definitely. The the, the weird thing about this is, is that, um, <clears throat> you know, my manager at the time, she had bought into our systems, bought into our our values, which is a huge thing. I mean, if, if companies aren't basing what they do off of a list of their values, then the thing is, is then you're then you're not going to get buy people buying into their own jobs. And the thing is, is that when when because because whenever I give this kind of correctional feedback stuff, it's 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 one or two things. Either people really are looking for this, or they just don't care. And if they just don't care, that means that they haven't bought into our values and systems. That means they're just there for a paycheck, which also means that they are not they're not my employee that I need. Um, I've got a I've got another guy that works for me, and one of his favorite sayings is is that um, sometimes employees just need to get promoted to customer, and uh, and I just kind of love that, you know. Oh yeah, you're getting promotion to customer, and that takes people kind of off a little bit. But but it, but it's kind of an internal joke that we have. Um, but the thing is, is that people are either going to buy into the job, and, and it's weird because because with and I'm talking about UPS stores right now. With our UPS stores, um, people people either buy into our values or they don't. And we know that most people that work for us, we are a stepping stone into a better job. And that's okay. And, and the thing is, is that if you know that about your business, so let's say that you own a fast food restaurant or any, how about this, any kind of restaurant in general, um, you know, there are people that make careers out of being uh, servers. There are people that make um livelihoods out of being bartenders or or restaurant managers and all these other things. But most people, especially if they're a server, this is a a temporary job to get to another job. Let's say that you're a college student and you're working in a restaurant and you're a server. This is a temporary job to get to a better a better job. A job that's more in your skill set or whatever it is. And the thing is, is that if we understand that of what kind of business you own, is this a business to where you're going to develop people and keep them there for long, long periods of time and things of this nature, then that's great. For me, I understand that my average uh, employee that waits on my customers, that we are a stepping stone job. Now, our manager jobs are different, and it's kind of interesting 
it's uh, our average right now on holding on to a manager is six years. And in a retail environment, that's, it's, you know, we are, we are one of the few people that do that. And it's because of the value systems that we kind of place in on this. So, um, you know, your, your book talks about the, about a career toolkit. So talk to me a little bit about values and how that applies in your book and what's your thoughts behind the whole value system to help either retain employees or get employees to the job that they need to go to or need to be at. You've hit on two really important topics. And the first has to do with values versus capability. This is a model that GE bought into back in the 80s. Now, GE, I'm not the biggest fan of GE. I think they were a bad company in many ways. But one of the things that they did very well was they recognized that there's two dimensions for employee evaluation. There is a dimension of capability. Can you do this job? How good are you at being a fry cook or being an accountant, whatever it is you do? There's a mechanical skill, but then there's the cultural fit or values into an organization. Now, if you have someone who's strong in both categories, you say, wonderful, that's the type of employee we want. If you have someone who's not good at both categories, those are not the people you want to hire or retain. The question is asked, what if they're good in one but not the other? What should we do? And what GE figured out, I believe they're correct in this. If it is a mechanical issue, if they're not a great accountant, they don't really know the rules that well, or they're not a good fry cook, whatever it is they do, see if you can upskill this person. Assuming they're an existing employee, say, can we train this person to do better? Is it an issue of knowledge and can you move them? Now, if you can't, well, probably not a fit, but often you can. You teach them if they learn, fantastic. Now you have someone who's a cultural fit and is capably good at their job. If it's a value issue, however, that usually can't be addressed because most people, by the time they are adults, even young adults, their values don't change very much. If congeniality, getting along with your coworkers is important, you have someone who's just grumpy every day, you can't say, nope, you can't be grumpy anymore Get along better with your coworkers. That's not something you can teach or make happen. No. So if if there's not a cultural fit, you probably have to say, this is just not a fit. And that's okay. And there's nothing wrong with saying, this is not a cultural fit. I do not fit into many companies. Other ones I do. There's no one who can fit into every company equally well. So just recognize not necessarily a fit. So it's important to understand your corporate culture and values and looking at people you're potentially hiring or your current employees and asking how are they mechanically at their job, but also how are they culturally a fit or not. And I think during the hiring process, a lot of companies don't put value statements or questions into their hiring process. And I think it's huge. Um, you know, it's, uh, we do all kinds of things. I mean, now we own UPS stores and, you know, and the thing is, is that um, before COVID, we had a very stringent policy of hiring people right now. The, the, the job market is, is such a influx. It, it's just, it's just hard to get even, people to even show up for the job right now and so but beforehand we would do working interviews someone would come in for a couple hours and they would basically try us out we would try them out uh we would pay them i think it was at the time well i think at the time this is before covid i think was paying either 10 or 12 dollars an hour just for a working interview you come in and what and because of the tax laws and everything else, we were able just to give them an Amazon gift card for that amount of time that they worked. We we're able to just email it to them or whatever it was. Um, so it it was it was roughly about twenty five twenty five or thirty dollars that we would just say, hey, come in do a work interview. We'll give you twenty five thirty dollars, whatever it was. 
to come in to work and check. Make, make, I think maybe it was like $30 just for the work interview. So it was a little more than what we'd normally had paid someone to come in because the average was between 10 and 12. Anyhow, and one of my favorite things that we used to ask a potential employee is that we would have a small trash can and we would ask them to empty it into a larger trash can in the back of the building. And I've had lots of people ask me, well, why would you ask someone to empty a trash can from one trash can to another trash can? Um, and it, and it has to deal with, um, their attitude on emptying a trash can in from one trash can to another trash can. And all was on body language based only on body language had nothing to do with what they said, unless they were just like, no, I'm not doing that. That's not part of my, that's not going to be part of my job. All this other stuff. But it, but most people were compliant, but the way that they did it, their actions, the looks on their face said, multitudes of things about what they were doing. And it was pretty just, it was very interesting because I'm going to tell you right now, there was lots of people that didn't get a job because of the way that they acted when someone asked them to do that. Like they may have been great the entire interview process. And about an hour into it, we always ask them to do that. So that this way we don't waste any more of their time or our time either. And we're about halfway through the process. What you're doing is a fantastic approach to interviewing. And I've seen other companies do this even at white collar jobs as well. A friend of mine runs a software consulting firm. He does the same thing. You're going to come in for like half a day or a day. You're going to work with us. We're going to pay you. But you're actually seeing how people perform the job. Because if you think about interviews, they are a proxy for how well you can perform. I try to guess based on your answers, can you do this job? We all know certain things like, will you treat the customers well? Well, gee, how should I answer that one? Of course, I'm going to say, yes, I will. But it's actually seeing their actions. And that's going to give you the real information. So having people do work is always a fantastic way to do it. Obviously, check with a lawyer on the tax laws and how this all works and employment That's laws. Correct. Make sure you're doing it right. Because if you do it wrong, you could be in big trouble. So we're, we're not lawyers. Check with yeah. one before you do this. Oh, yeah. But and the, and the, and, yeah, and, and the thing is, is that, is that uh, I run everything by my, by my, term, by my, um, by my accountant, you know, how can we pay these people without have putting them onto a payroll? Because the thing is, is that, and, and that there was the one way. So, yeah, so everybody, yeah, uh, there is ways to do it. Just be sure and check with your state and the federal guidelines and everything else. Get with a, uh, get with either a tax attorney or get with your accountant and they'll be able to help you folks out. So, yeah, so, so thanks, Mark, for keeping me with my, uh, keeping me up with uh, with my disclaimers on stuff. Sometimes I just speak because the laws here in Tennessee are can are very much different than other states. But yeah, but uh, but but the other thing too is that is that we would we would always ask all kinds of other questions and 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 do things and see how they um, they acted with people. And the thing is, is that you can never ever ever really understand how someone's going to perform until they get in front of a customer, you know, and we would, and we would, um, the first thing we would show them is how to enter in an Amazon drop-off package. And then they would have to do that job because it's a very easy job, but it has a few steps. So the thing is, is that we seen how quickly they learned or, you know, how quickly they developed or if they struggled with this, and at the very end of the interview, we would also ask everybody to do a um, an old-fashioned typing test on a website to see how fast they type. Now, this we cared nothing about how fast they typed. I wanted to see what kind of stress they put on themselves about typing as fast as they could. Because the thing is, is I had people be like, okay, well, I'm just going to type. They start 
using the keyboarding and doing it stuff, you know, and they would just be like, da da da, you know, and, and everything else. And they wouldn't care how fast they were. The real people just be like, ha ah, ha And they got all stressed out about this whole thing. And, uh, the, and, and that really tells you a lot about how people handle stress too, is a simple thing that adds stress into someone's life that is irrelevant stress. Because I didn't care how t- because I now I never told them how f- that I didn't care how fast they typed, but it was because at, at the UPS store I have some stores that are very fast paced, and we go through a lot of customers really quickly, and it can be stressful. And I needed to induce just a little stress that didn't mean anything. What's your thoughts on that? I mean. It, Am I wrong on this or, or am I right or am I somewhere in between? I'm, I'm just curious what, what your thoughts is, Mark. I think you're absolutely right. And this, again, goes to declared values versus expressed values. And this, yes. by the way, is not unique to work. We see this, for example, in dating when researchers on dating and relationships so ask people, what is it you're looking for? And what you see is people say, oh, I want someone who's nice and good with these values. And then they put them in an environment. Who do they go for? The hot people. Yeah. And so they might say, this is what I want. But when you look at their actions, you get something else. And this goes to one of the challenges with interviewing because it's usually verbal and people express. They declare They declare what they want, but they don't actually show how they will be in that circumstance. There was a CEO who famously would bring a senior candidate out to a diner as part of the interview process. Oh, we're going to take a break. We're going to do lunch. And at this diner, he had the waitress, who he's known for a while, intentionally screw up whatever the person ordered. Whoever they ordered, her job was to get it wrong in some way. And he wanted to see how did this person respond. Now, of course, most candidates are smart enough not to blow up and yell at the waitress in front of the CEO of the company where you're trying to get a job. But he wanted to see, does this person just do nothing and say, oh, you know, I guess I'll, I'll take it. Does he mention something to the CEO? Well, she screwed it up, but whatever. Does he say to her, there's a mistake? How does he say it to her? How does he address this problem? And this is where you can see someone's actions, not words. I would always, when I first started interviewing people, we had a receptionist at that company. I can tell you after they walked out of the interview, we finished, they left, First thing I do is go up to the receptionist and say, what do you see? Whether it's how he treated her when he came in to even just how was he right before? Was he relaxed? Was he nervous? Was What was going on? The interview started before he even thought it did, before he walked in the room. Because actions speak louder than words. And we want to see what actions people do. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that, and I think if people would or employers would spend more time in the interview process and be very intentional about what they're doing. Um, I think that that would make a huge, huge impact. So for me, if I was that person, um, I always go to the, to the receptionist and I always treat everybody like gold when, when, especially the receptionist folks, because I used to be in sales. So someone, so they were, they used to be always be the gatekeeper for me. And so anytime I go, go to um, see a reception stuff. I normally talk them up a little bit. You know, hey, how's your day been? Oh, it's been great. You know, how's your day been? Oh, I'm trying to stay out of trouble. You know, it's an uphill battle. And I kind of make a little joke, you know, about it, you know, and, and, and just and just try to break the ice with people more than anything with a little humor. And then, you know, and just talk to them and just say, you know, well, if they say, oh, I'm not having such a good day. Oh, I'm sorry, you know. Is there anything I can do to help with your day or anything else? I mean, I ask really strange questions and things like this. I really get to talk to people. And it's very funny is that, I mean, now, like I said, I've been, I've been doing this for almost 20 years, 19 plus years. And uh, the crazy thing about it is, is that uh, if I was ever to have to go interview for another job, um, it's because I've interviewed so many people, um, 
it would be surprising to the person that's interviewing me how well I would do. So, and, and, you know, and, and I think you're kind of the same thing. And I, I do recommend in the book, I say one of the best things you can do to be a better interviewee is to have been an interviewer. Now, yes. even if the level you're at, you're not there yet. Even if, let's say you are working as a cashier at this company, see if you can ask your manager, can I sit in on one of the interviews you're doing? I'm just going to sit in the corner. I'm going to listen. I'm going to watch. But you get such a different perspective. You see how people answer questions, what they do well, what they do poorly. And if you take that and learn as someone like you who says, I am a continual learner, what can I learn from this? You can become a better candidate yourself. So I encourage everyone to be part of an interview process at some point. If you can't be the person on the interview team, can you at least listen in a few times? And if you can't do that, what you could do is do some mock interviews get together with a few friends, have someone be the interviewer or someone be the interviewee, but then others can be just watching. If you think about how we learn other skills, think about, for example, public speaking. Public speaking. What do we do? Someone goes up and they do their, their practice speech and we're all watching and we give that person feedback. You can do the same thing with interviews. Yeah, it's, and it's pretty interesting. And with, with our interview process, um, normally we only have 10 questions that we normally ask people. We don't ask people a ton of stuff. Um, we, we normally have very 10, very specific open-ended questions about actions and our values. And it's all interweaved in it. And so, so that's the thing about this is the one thing, if you're out there folks and y'all, and you have values, make sure that you put your values into open-ended questions whenever you interview people, because you're going to get better qualified candidates in doing that. Would you agree, Mark, or disagree? Absolutely. Open-ended questions are usually the better interview questions because you see the direction the candidate takes those questions in and where they choose to go or not go or how they address it tells you a lot. It's not just the answer. It's the meta answer. It's the how are they expressing this? Why do they express it this way versus that way? Is it a succinct answer? Are they rambly? Do they focus more on this thing versus that? And to those listening, you might be thinking, wow, this just sounds... Now, I, I used to do a 30, maybe 45-minute interview. I just asked me a few questions. Go, great, you're qualified to go do this job. And now we're talking about these open-ended questions. This could be bigger. We're talking about I have to hire them for a couple hours and there's a real cost. And this sounds expensive. And if you look at the cost of an individual interview, well, yes, it's probably more expensive than some of the alternatives. But when you look at the cost of hiring, this is much cheaper because the cost of hiring is the time you or other people on your team have to continually interview candidates. Then when you bring someone on board, there's a cost of onboarding them all the training, all the upskilling, trying to build the relationships with their coworkers. And then if they're not a fit, they cause chaos. They cause problems in your business. You have to terminate them. You have to do this all again. And those are huge costs. So a little more investment upfront is going to save you a lot more pain and cost in the long run. So don't be afraid, even though you're thinking, wow, this is getting costlier. When you look at overall, the process of I need to hire to a few months after they've joined and you have a good employee. This is actually a cheaper way to do it. Yeah, you're, you're right. I was just, as you were talking, I was, I put up my calculator real quick and just, and just did a real quick cost analysis because it takes people in my UPS stores, it takes people 90 days to be able to understand and get and, and be at a uh, efficient level. Because the job is not hard, but it's very complex. And uh, the thing is, is that, so for me, uh, it takes, it will cost me $7,200 over those 90 days to get you to where you need to be. On top of how much ever I paid for the asset, I paid another $1,000 for that ad to get that one person. Okay. So you're talking about $8,500 it's going to cost me 
But if I get the right person, though, if I get that right person, that's money well spent versus having to do this two or three times. So now I've no. So now I've lost money hand over fist trying, you know, and it can be, you know, 10,000, 20,000, $30,000 that I've lost trying to get the right person where maybe I spent $8,500 and I got the right person. And now they're there with me if they're being productive and everything else. So this goes back to measure twice, cut once the interview yeah. process that is measuring. So measure well before you cut. That's right. So, Mark, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, anybody that has a book on my podcast, I always ask them this. So, what is your favorite book? I mean, what is your favorite chapter of your book? I don't think I have a particularly favorite chapter. The book is perhaps different than most other books. <clears throat> it is written 10 chapters, 10 key skills, and you don't have to read it in order. You can say the skill I want to get better at is networking and jump right to chapter eight. Skip chapters one through seven. So you can jump around. You can pick up. It's like tools in your toolbox. What's your favorite tool? Well, if you need a hammer today, it's a hammer. If you need a screwdriver tomorrow, it's a screwdriver. But yeah, I, that, will, I will share with you one particular story. I, I, if I had to pick one, I'd say the intro because I think it sets it up well. And so I'm going to share one of the stories from the introduction. We're awesome. going to do a little bit of math here. We're going to do some sixth grade math. So bear with me. I want you to imagine you have a rectangle that's four by 10, and you have to increase one of the sides by two units to maximize the area. We all remember doing this way back in school. If you need to pause the podcast, feel free. The answer, of course, is you go from four to six units. That gives you 60. If you went from 10 to 12, it only gives you 48. Okay, so now we know about rectangles. What does this have to do with anything we're talking about here? We often think about our jobs in terms of the mechanics of how do I process returns? How do I ship packages? How do I do whatever this role says? But there's a whole bunch of other skills like teamwork, communication, leadership, all these other skills we don't really think about. Now, when you look at this math problem, what happens when you put those two units on that four side, those two extra units are amplified by your long side, by that 10. We tend to focus on our long sides. If you put a little effort into your short side, getting slightly better at communicating effectively, slightly better at being a good team player, slightly better at leading, you're going to amplify your strength in that long side. You're going to create overall more value. You don't have to be the world's best leader, the world's best communicator. Just get a little bit longer on what's been a short side, and you're going to have a big impact on your overall area, which represents your capabilities. And that's really what the book is about. It's not that this book is going to make you a master in every one of these skills, it's going to put you down the path to help you get a little bit better. And that's going to have a huge impact on your capability and success. Yeah, I, I, I really do. That's so true. I agree with that so much. It's, it's the thing is, is that if you can work on one that you, and here's the one thing that people don't really understand is that, so if they were to go through your book and look and be like, okay, I'm really not good at talking to people, so I probably need to work on networking, right? If they can really get that down, I'm not saying you have to like it. I'm just saying you need to get good at it. <laughs> There's a big difference between liking things and actually being good at something. Uh, I'll give you a really quick example of that is that I'm really good at editing websites, okay? I have that technology skill, right? I hate doing it. Because it's normally pretty, re re it's repetitive. It's, you know, I feel like I can do it in my sleep. And it's like, oh, this is not fun. But I'm really good at it. And I'm pretty quick at it. But that doesn't mean I like it. And I, and I think that there's the great thing about your book is pick something that you're not necessarily is your strong suit and make it part of your strong suit. 
and it doesn't matter your feelings about it, but if it's going to be able to help you in the long run, you might want to do it. Exactly right. The analogy I use in the book, I'm very good at eating cookies. Master when it comes to eating cookies. I'm not so good at eating vegetables. But mm-hmm. I know eating some more vegetables matters. That will have a positive impact on my life. So I learned to get better about eating vegetables, ways where I'm more likely to eat them, times, processes where, okay, I'll deal with the vegetables. I still don't like vegetables. It's still not my choice. I have longer sides, the cookie side, but I've made that vegetable side a little bit longer and it's made me a little bit healthier. Yeah, perfect, Mark. Well, Mark, I just want to thank you so much for being on today. Um, For all my listeners out there, I'm going to put Mark, all of Mark's link where you can get his book, uh, and that there is the career um, tool toolkit and uh, everything else. I'll put a link where you can buy this book at. Uh, I will also put his Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter all in there too. And so, uh, so this way you can, folks, you can connect with Mark. And I really do appreciate you guys listening. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been fun. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. Well, listen, thank you once again so much for listening, and we will see you on the next one. Thank you so much for joining me today and listening to this episode. Hopefully, what I shared with you will help you in your business journey as we share to help others expand their minds, businesses, and profits. If this episode did help you, be sure to share it with someone else that you know that it will help. We can only achieve our mission if we share it with others and always give first. I hope I can also help you even further by sharing my resources. It is a page that contains all the digital assets we use to expand our business and to help us free up time. The great thing about this page is completely free. Just go to resources.expansioncode.com to get your free access. Thank you again for tuning in. Have a fantastic day, my friends.